0: welcome once again to at home in your hymnal this is pastor Clint Poppy along with me is pastor Adam Moline we get together on a regular basis to talk about being at home in your hymnal we talk about the liturgy of the church we talk about uh Preparing ourselves to be at home in the divine worship setting to be able to use our hymnal for personal and family devotions today in episode 35 we want to talk about the season of Lent. Last episode, episode 34, we looked in great detail with regard to Ash Wednesday, the traditions that surround Ash Wednesday, the colors of Ash Wednesday, the themes of Ash Wednesday. Today we want to take a a little bit bigger picture and we want to look at the season of Lent. It is a 40-day season in the church here. It begins on Ash Wednesday and it uh, is a time that has many different um emphases it has a lot of different themes it uh, means a lot of different things to different people and we want to we want to help our listeners to understand the season of Lent and to guide and aid their personal worship and personal devotion as we move from Ash Wednesday to to Holy Week, the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and ultimately, our celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus on Easter Sunday. Pastor, what do you think about this whole Lent thing? <laughs>
1: About the whole Lent thing. The whole Lent thing. Yeah, that's an open-ended question. That's why I gave it to you. Uh, I think Lent is a a great season of the church year. It's one of my favorite ones. It culminates with my absolute favorite time of the church, which is Holy Week, uh, when you go uh, to the cross with Christ and you go to the empty tomb with the women and you celebrate the resurrection. All those things kind of are the culmination of this entire uh, six-week period. Uh, I love the fact that uh, during the season of Lent, the church emphasizes – Basic catechetics and learning the faith, uh, and we have this somber, repentant feel about it that acknowledges the truth of our sin. We confess it over and over again, um, and all of it is driving towards the cross, which is our entire Christian faith, really, in a nutshell. And so, it is one of my very favorite seasons of the church year. I think it's also one that is easily misunderstood and sometimes even abused uh, in the practices that we do. And so, I think understanding those is a helpful thing for everybody to to do so they can properly celebrate the season of Lent you know we've talked many
0: times on this program and others that uh, you did not grow up in a uh, Lutheran church uh, you were you were in a uh, disciples of Christ church a uh, for the most part uh, non-sacramental and And uh, I don't don't know if it was a non-liturgical church or not. Did you follow the seasons of the church here? And uh, did you have Lent?
1: Yeah, yeah, the disciples Christ, at least when I was in it, um, was liturgical, but it was not theological. Everything was whatever you feel and want about it. And that leads to things... Um, like the season of Lent, where we'd probably have some sketches and some skits that were done during the service uh, interrupting the liturgy of the Church. Um, And uh, I think the emphasis uh, really focused more on Good Friday and Holy Week more than the season of Lent. Um, The big season that they did observe that I remember is Advent. Beyond that, I don't really remember any seasons of the Church year. And so it it is something that kind of— uh, the season of Lent elevates our senses uh, for the church year uh, and also for uh, what God's Word says and who we are. And I think that's the beauty that is missing sometimes if you don't observe Lent in at least a clear way that's easy for everybody to understand. Um, you don't get that opportunity to look at yourself and to look at Christ. And that's what we want
0: to talk about in this uh, this episode. We want to talk about how to observe Lent in a clear focused way, what the uh, appropriate themes for Lent are. Uh, You know, there there are a lot of church bodies that do not follow any kind of a liturgical year or liturgical calendar, and so the seasons of the church year are uh, either an afterthought or they are completely non-existent. I remember a conversation that I had years and years ago with a uh, young man who was a part-time pastor in the Assemblies of God. He grew up Lutheran, and we were having a visit, and I asked him, I said, is there anything that you miss about being a Lutheran? And he thought there for a little bit, and he kind of scratched his chin, and then he looked at me and he said, I miss Lent. I miss Lent. We don't really have anything comparable in uh, my church body now to Lent. And I said, what do you miss about it? And he said, well, you know, every time we get together, it's about Jesus, of course. He said, but during the 40 days of Lent growing up, there was always a special focus on the passion, the suffering, and the death of Jesus Christ for me. And that has always kind of rung in my head, um, do Lutheran churches or liturgical churches, that would include uh, many other churches, including the Roman Catholic Church, do we always have that clear focus on Christ, suffering, passion, crucifixion for me, for sin, for the life of the world? Uh, A lot of churches now that do not have a uh, liturgical calendar, they've tried to kind of co-opt Lent And they've uh, tried to jump on the uh, Lent bandwagon, if you want to call it that. And they have uh, 40 days of purpose, 40 days of tithing, 40 days of fasting. They'll they'll come up with all these little 40-day programs in the church. And I think it's just trying to recapture what they know liturgical congregations have when they follow the church here. Pastor, first, let's talk about the length of Lent. This whole forty-day thing. How how did that happen? What's what's the uh, uh, what's the
1: reason for this forty days of preparation? Well, um, the there's two parts to it. First off, there's the catechetical nature in the early church, and so um, we're talking in the hundreds a.d., the, the first few centuries of the church, the season of Lent would be the time where if you had not been a Christian before, um, you would be in church learning all the doctrine of the faith. And that takes time. It's not something that can be done in a one-week boot camp, uh, You know, even though I know that's kind of a popular thing now. It just can't be. It takes time to learn the faith. And so uh, there is a certain amount of that, that it, there needed to be a proper amount of time to learn the faith. But it also comes from scripture in multiple places where this idea of 40 days of fasting, 40 days of uh, challenge, 40 days of difficulty uh, come out and so you know the one that everybody thinks of right away is that during uh, the flood it rained for forty days and forty nights. But there's also, uh, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and I think it's chapters six, seven, eight, and nine. We have Noah, uh, Noah. We have Moses uh, up on Mount Sinai before God, and during that time he neither eats nor drinks, uh, and yet he's up there on the mountain with God praying and fasting, and at the end of it, God gives the law uh, in the Ten Commandments, written on stone tablets with his own hand, and then sends Moses down the mountain to uh, confront the people of Israel in their sin. At that same 40 days that Moses was fasting and uh, meditating, the people of Israel were making a golden calf down at the foot of the mountain. So God sends them down with the law to curb their unbelief and their desire to create a God in their own image. We also then have in the uh, Gospels, and this will be the the Gospel reading for the first Sunday in Lent, we have um, the people—or sorry, we have Jesus— representing the people of Israel after his baptism in that he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting before being tempted by Satan. And so these two things, I think, are the big things that tell us the 40-day length of the season of Lent. We're reflecting on Moses and Jesus, and that gives us then the time for catechetical instruction that needs to take place in the church. Now, I'm not a smart man,
0: Pastor, you know that. But if I count up the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, I don't get 40 days. So uh, help me out with that uh, liturgical arithmetic. Yeah, you
1: probably get uh, 45 or 46, somewhere in there. Yeah, depending on when you start, uh, you get you get 46, right. And what's going on in that counting is is the Sundays during the season of Lent, and this is the way that we say it, They are um, the Sundays are in Lent but they're not of Lent. They're not the days that we count. And the reason for that is each time that we have a divine service, in a sense, it is kind of like a miniature Easter celebration in the sense that we're partaking of the resurrected Christ's body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, as we count the 40 days, we do not count the Sundays because of that divine service, but we do count all the other days in that time period of the year. Yeah, I I recently heard uh, listening to
0: another liturgical podcast that uh, the idea of uh, the jesima Sundays really came with this uh, funky day of counting uh, 40 between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And I don't know if you've heard this or not, Pastor, but it was really intriguing because in the early church, Fridays were fast days. And in the early church, not only were Fridays fast days, But um, Wednesdays were fast days. And so in order to get 40 days between Easter and when you begin your fasting, your devotion, if you omit Sundays, which are celebration days, and if you omit Fridays and Wednesdays, which are already fast days, they shouldn't count. You have to go back 70 days, and that's where the whole 70 day Septuagesima oh. thing started. And in the early days, it was called the season of Septuagesima. Uh, I, I just thought that that was, was interesting because the whole idea of fasting is so contrary to 21st century American lifestyles. You know, we don't have a lot of time left in this segment, Pastor, but can you give us a little bit about fasting and why a Christian might consider it?
1: Yeah, um, fasting is kind of an um, obscure idea to us now because – we live in America in the year 2020, or whatever year we are listening to this, and uh, what that means is that anything we want, we can get anytime we want, right? Uh, essentially, gluttony. If, if I want uh, a new TV, I click on my phone, and Amazon will bring me one tomorrow. Um, and that's just the reality of our world. So we don't really think about fasting, but what fasting does, uh, is it gives us an opportunity to contemplate and to think about what God is doing for us, uh, by giving up things that are important to us by not eating. And you know that makes us feel hungry, which allows us to think uh, a little bit more about Christ and what he did uh, in the 40 days in the wilderness, the people of Israel in the wilderness. We have all these opportunities to, um, give up things to consider our sinful nature and how dependent we really are upon God and I know we're out of time here so maybe that's a starting point we can pick up more later yeah the whole notion
0: of giving up things for Lent I think is would be a great place for us to continue this conversation when we come back from the break this is at home in your hymnal we're looking at the season of Lent don't change that dial we'll be right back
1: Listening to K N N A L P ninety five point seven FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Listen on the radio, KNNA 95.7 LP right here in Lincoln. Check us out on the website, thecross957.org. Check out the archives, and we have many, many uh, wonderful programs, including a lot of episodes of At Home in Your Hymnal where we talk about various aspects of the liturgy, particular hymns, or like we're doing today, we're talking about a season in the church here. In this episode 35, we're talking about the season of Lent. Where we ended with our last segment is we were talking about fasting, and that really led us to the, uh, to the whole idea of giving up something for Lent. Uh, it's almost become kind of a joke for a lot of people. I know my, uh, one of my brothers, who's a, who's a major jokester, more so than me, uh, he always used to say, uh, now remember this, what time of the year Lent is, it's usually February, March, maybe a little bit of April, and uh, living in Nebraska, he always used to say, when somebody would ask him, oh, what are you giving up for Lent, he would say, watermelon and scuba diving.
1: Uh,
0: uh, major sacrifices, huh?
1: Yeah, or giving up winter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, and so it's almost become uh, kind of a joke. And so, so, Pastor, um, I want to I talk a little bit more about fasting and then how that has has led the church into the habit or the tradition of giving up something for Lent in a sacrificial way. Um, what is a, well, let's talk a little bit more about fasting because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here during the break thinking, you know, um, I am not a skinny man, but if I don't eat for 40 days, I'm probably going to end up in the hospital. So we're not talking about a hunger strike here. We no. we are, ta- and we're not talking about a diet fad. You know, there are some churches, you know, that uh, they have they've turned Lent or the Bible into a diet help book, and uh, that is that is horrific. That is not what God's Word is for. So if someone was to fast, a Christian was to fast in the biblical understanding as a spiritual discipline, what would that look like?
1: Yeah, we didn't uh, get a real good opportunity in the last segment to talk about it. It is a spiritual discipline, and maybe that's the place to start And uh, what that means is that uh, in Christ, all sins are forgiven and we're actually not saved. We don't inherit heaven because of the things that we do. Rather, we do things because Christ has saved us. And we call this discipline or maybe self-control would be a way, uh, a modern way of talking about it. And so uh, as Christians, you know, we, we try our darndest not to do things that are sinful, that will hurt our faith. And, and that's discipline, and, and Paul talks about that a little bit uh, in the book of 1 um, Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Um, he says, he talks about it in terms of those running a race. "'Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but, no one, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things.' They do not receive a perishable wreath, but an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's essentially what the fasting we're talking about is, disciplining our body, keeping it under our own control. And what that looks like in a traditionally historic Christian way is that uh, you would not eat food during the daytime. You could still eat at night uh, when the sun was not up. You could still eat in the morning when the sun was not up. But during the day, you would not eat. And what this is is to have that constant twinge of hunger there with you to remind you that you belong to Christ and that you ought to do things that are Christ-pleasing. And it doesn't necessarily even today have to be fasting in terms of food rather it could be fasting in terms of all sorts of activities where when you're purposely leaving them out it's reminding you of your christian nature and that their christians live a particular way in the ancient church as well there would be the time of fasting where you would wear different clothing clothing that wasn't comfortable you know like your hanes or your um, your Levi's, Fancy, cotton, smooth-feeling clothes, but you might wear clothes that were a little bit more scratchy and uncomfortable. Wool. I know most people don't know what wool is anymore, right? But uh, when you have wool blankets or wool sweaters, they're itchy and scratchy, and they, they make you remember all day long that you're not wearing your, uh, your boxers or whatever that Hanes makes for you. And so, when you wear those uncomfortable things throughout the day, you have a constant nagging reminder that you belong to Christ, and that Christians act a particular way in their behavior and in the way that they go about their lives. And so, maybe that's maybe a starting point, and you can help me fill in the gaps here.
0: No, I think I think that's a, a great setup, and uh, the 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 discipline is. Uh, not to earn our way to heaven it is not a form of self-punishing where we're climbing the ladder to uh, to work our way closer to god we belong to god we've been we've been adopted by him washed clean in the waters of holy baptism covered over with the righteousness of christ and now disciplining our bodies so that we do not um, fall prey to the temptations of the devil the world, and our sinful flesh. Self-control and self-discipline are things that are so, so contrary to American culture and really 21st century living. And so a a fasting uh, today might be food uh, or a particular type of food. Uh, let's say that, uh, you know, you just have this habit of every every day before you go to bed, you have a bowl of ice cream. Uh, A a Lenten fast might mean that uh, you do not have ice cream during the season of Lent. A Lenten fast might mean that uh, you're off of uh, Facebook or Twitter or other types of social media. Uh, for the 40 days of Lent as a reminder and as a discipline, like you said, that you belong to Christ. You do not belong or are not addicted
1: to the things of this world. Right. And so every time you feel that urge to go on your Facebook and you wonder, you know, uh, boy, what's the latest Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself meme that I'm missing, that you can actually stop and say, wait a second, I belong to Jesus, that's the most important thing in my life, uh, not silly pictures or, or whatever else you're doing on Facebook. Now, you referenced Jesus
0: and what he said about fasting and other uh, acts of piety, uh, that we should, not, uh, we should wash our faces, we should not let our fasting be known, uh, not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. This is all part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I get a kick out of the fact that people who are going to give up Twitter – or Facebook or Instagram for Lent spend the three weeks prior to Lent telling you what a g- tremendous sacrifice they're gonna make and don't miss me on Twitter and I didn't die and all these kind of things. How is that contrary? to the very nature of the kind of Christian discipline we're talking about pastor.
1: Well, we've talked a little bit and tried to mention that we're not saved by our works. And so, it's not that by giving up the thing you're earning points with God. Uh and oftentimes when people say, you know, I'm giving this up for Lent, that's essentially whether they mean that or not, that's essentially what they're trying to do. Their old sinful nature is saying, "Look, uh, I'm a holy person because I've given up swearing for Lent or I've given up ice cream or I've given up um, you know, washing my, my pants or whatever it is that you've given up, and you're telling people that to say, I'm more holy than you, even if you don't mean it that way all the time, completely, totally, your sinful nature, that's what they're thinking. And so when we fast, uh, we ought to do so without advertising it. And Jesus kind of explains this in Matthew 6, starting at verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. And what Jesus means there is the reward they got is everybody else saw, oh, how holy they are, how good they are. And then their reward is here in heaven where moth and uh, mold destroy. Jesus goes on, When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, fasting is not something that's for the world fasting is something between you and the god who has saved you through jesus Christ's death and resurrection and so the person that needs to know about it is not your neighbor not your spouse not your friends but your lord and guess what he knows it whether you advertise it or not so the best thing you can do is to keep it between you and him and uh If we're going to
0: do some kind of a Lenten discipline fasting type thing, uh, we shouldn't be running around with uh, grumpy attitudes and uh, being crabby uh, if you give up coffee for Lent and uh, uh, the uh, caffeine starvation of your brain um, makes you a a grumpy Gus, uh, keep it to yourself keep it to yourself. Otherwise, that that kind of defeats the purpose of why a Christian would want to enter into any kind of Christian discipline. And now, now Pastor, Christian discipline is not just for the season of Lent. It's for us to sharpen, uh, sharpen our walk with Christ, sharpen our Christian discipline. Oftentimes, the word that is used when we're talking about the kind of things we're talking about is a christian or lutheran piety pastor what is that and uh, you know we think of pious oh i'm such a holy pious person that's not what we're talking about uh we hear the word pietism where i'm condemning you because you're not as pious as me what is a proper understanding for
1: piety right uh, it is a word that's kind of been abused uh, and the abuse has gone all the way back to the uh, 17th century uh, with a guy named uh, Spainer uh, who wrote a book called Pia desiderida which said uh, you guys aren't living as Christians so you're not really Christians and and unfortunately I think he was a Lutheran too uh, who introduced this idea but piety uh, is something that's a little different than what he was talking about piety is is uh, the the way to say it maybe is this, the quality of being religious or reverent. Uh, it's a way that a Christian acts um, because they are a Christian, uh, the way, the things that they do because they are a Christian. And, and when we understand it that way, everything flows out of being saved by Jesus Christ. And so uh, a piety would be when you go to church and you— Act a particular way in the sanctuary. It's not that you're earning points with God for doing so, but it's acknowledging the reality that God has saved you, and so it's appropriate to show Him respect and honor. Uh, Piety would mean that because Christ bled and died for the sins of simple things, even like cursing and swearing, that when we go throughout our lives, we try our darndest not to do those things because. They are serious things that God has to bleed and die for. Um, uh, could we say, Pastor, that uh,
0: um, piety is uh, a way of living intentional Christian habits?
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if you like that or not. I just sprung yeah, that on you right now. the the word "intentional" anymore, with the way it's being hijacked, kind of makes me a little nervous. Christian but habits. I I, th- I think I'd say Christian life, maybe. Um, uh, the fruits of faith, maybe, would be the way that Scripture talks about it. When you are a Christian, you necessarily bear particular fruits. And I would go to say
0: that not only acting a certain way when you come to church is a part of Christian piety, but just. Going to church on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, in our world today, I think that's where it's at. We need to take a break. This is at home in your hymnal. We're looking at the season of Lent. We'll be right back. You are listening to K N N A L P ninety five point seven FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. This is episode 35 of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at the season of Lent. Episode 34 in our archives is Ash Wednesday, and we're going to be digging out some of the programs that we did last year with a special focus on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Easter Vigil, and we'll have an opportunity to hear those as we lead up to our grand and glorious celebration of Easter. So uh, we pray that that would be a blessing for you and by the grace of God for the church at large. We've been talking about a, uh, a Christian, a Lutheran piety, and there are, are some of the habits that uh, we are encouraging or teaching or helping to form during the season of Lent. One of those is fasting or giving up something for Lent. And uh, I think this is, a, this is a good Christian discipline. And, uh, Pastor, I was, I was thinking during the break that in Luther's small catechism, when, uh, when Luther is teaching us about the grand and glorious gift of the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood in with and under bread and wine given for us Christians to eat and drink. Luther says um, fasting and other outward preparations are indeed fine. But uh, true worthiness consists of faith in the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that what we're talking about? Fasting and other preparations that are a part of this Christian piety, this Lutheran piety that is not just for the 40 days of Lent, but would help form and shape us as Christians throughout the entire church here. Am I I heading down the right path?
1: Yeah, I think it is. And maybe even the fancy word that we use for it today is sanctification, where God is making us holy um, in the sense that we are living Christian lives, it's a habit, it's a normal thing, and and it shouldn't just be during the season of Lent that we are fasting and being self-disciplined, but rather uh, the season of Lent is here to kind of intensify it and help us learn how to do it for the rest of the year, maybe, is a way to think about it. Uh, and so it is Christian life, Christian piety. We act a certain way because of what we have been purchased for and, and whose we are. Uh, in the same way that, um, you know, we have soldiers who are in the military, right? And when they come home on leave, they stay in their, um, I don't know if the right word's uniform, it's not their blues, but their, their, um, uh, fatigues, is that the right word? I'm not sure, but I think so. They're supposed to be, yes sir, no ma'am, sort of things. They're supposed to be polite. They take their caps off when they come into a building. They put them on when they go out. Uh, They act a certain way, and the same way the Christian ought to, not because we belong to the army, but rather because we belong to God and Jesus, and he purchased and won us from sin, death, and the power of the devil with his own blood. That's an important thing that we ought to have in our life every day.
0: I know many uh, Lutheran Christians that fast every Sunday in, uh, in this way. They don't eat breakfast. And the first food that is on their lips is the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And I have, and I realize that some people need to eat when they get up, or they might become physically ill, or they have to have food with their medications. But for people who are able, that would be an extension of this kind of Christian piety that
1: we're talking about, right, Pastor? It would be, uh, and I think traditionally in the uh, the church, that's one of the things that took place. And again. We can't think that this is how we're making God happier, that we're going to get into heaven because of how we're acting. Rather, it's always responsive. It's always in return for what God has done for us to teach ourselves, to self-discipline ourselves, to be Christian. When when we talk about how we're using
0: or we hope to use this 40 days of Lent— And the piety and discipline and self-control that goes along with that to teach us and mold us and shape us and encourage us throughout the life of the church and the life of a Christian. One of the things that has a long-standing tradition in the church and uh, uh, in my entire life in the Lutheran church is an increased focus on worship. Uh, Wednesday Lenten services are a Christian tradition that go way, way, way beyond uh, before Luther and uh, really, really took their uh, formation and shape in the Lutheran Reformation, and we still have them today. Most Lutheran congregations, even if they're tiny, have Lenten midweek worship services. What are those extra services for, Pastor, and how are they teaching us this discipline and piety that we're talking about?
1: Yeah, those extra services are there for the same reason that all worship services are there, in the sense that it brings us God's Word uh, and the forgiveness of sins, a reminder of baptism. Uh, and if the uh, services have the Lord's Supper, you know, it's another place to partake in the sacrament. But in all those things, what they're doing is they're bringing us Jesus uh, and more Jesus. And I, I, one of the reasons I think a lot of people love Lent is because it's this time of the year where we're not afraid in these services to sing those great traditional Hymns of the church and chorales that uh, are much more blunt and less flowery uh, than some of the other times we other times in the church here we're getting the full Jesus in the hymns that we're singing and uh, the full forgiveness of sins and so in that sense these services bring us more word and allow us more time to meditate on Christ and what He's done and accomplished for us and that's a great blessing to us and so in
0: a sense. That that heightened opportunity to worship creates in us a discipline and a hunger to want to make sure that as a part of our Christian life, we are in God's house, we are in worship as often as we can be. So it's not just, okay, I check mark my box off, I went to all six Lenten services, boy, look at me, I'm a great Christian. But it's to create in us a hunger to be in God's house more. Am I am I looking at this correctly, Pastor?
1: Yeah, to use a really bad example, right? Uh, in that way, uh, these Lenten worship services are kind of like uh, – chocolate sheet cake, right? Uh, You eat one piece and you want more pieces. And so the more you eat, the more you want. Uh, In the same way, when you come to church, you want to hear the word more often because you hear what a great blessing it is to be forgiven of your sins, even though you don't deserve it and you uh, have done wrong in your thought, word, and deed. Uh, And the more you hear that forgiveness, the more you want to hear more of that forgiveness. It's such a great thing to receive from our God. And
0: unlike chocolate sheet cake, it's not going to add uh, calories or be harmful to your teeth in any way, shape, or form. It'll that, only be a great blessing.
1: That's why I wear a black shirt. It's very slimming.
0: So. <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the things that has been a tradition in the church... During the season of Lent, not only on Wednesdays, but also on Sunday, is an increased attention to catechesis. Now, in our very first part of uh, our very first segment of this episode, you talked about the tradition and the adult catechesis that took place during these intensive catechesis that took place during these uh, 40 days of Lent. We don't do that now, but... Oftentimes during the season of Lent, maybe it's a Wednesday midweek sermon series or something that's going on in uh, the liturgical aspect of the church, there is an increased focus and attention on catechesis. Pastor, when I say catechesis, what am I talking about and why is it important?
1: Yeah, catechesis is essentially learning the faith. It's uh, a word from the Greek, it comes comes from kind of the old-fashioned classical model of learning where one echoes back things and and memorizes things in that regard. And that's then we're— Go Big Red. Go Big Red, right? Yeah, that's catechesis. Everybody Uh, in
0: Nebraska understands that. And we
1: could say it's a liturgy, too. Uh, So for those who say we're not liturgical people, go to a Husker game. Husker.
0: Power. See, uh, yeah, the, we play this out in our lives all the time. So, uh,
1: But catechesis then is echoing back the faith, and so it involves someone – saying the faith to you and you saying it back to them back and forth until that word has become a part of you. That's where our word catechism comes from. And you notice the catechism, you know, uh, what is the first commandment? You shall have no gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That's catechesis in that regard. Uh, And and in the ancient church, the entire season of Lent, uh, if you were going to become a Christian, you left your job and you spent all day every day for 40 days learning the faith so that you could enter enter into the church on the Easter Vigil, be baptized, and become a part of the congregation at such time. And so we don't require that anymore anymore. We could debate whether we should or not, right, but we don't require that anymore. But we do emphasize learning the faith during this time of the year through preaching, through teaching, Uh, and usually about this time of the year there is also uh, confirmation, uh, whether it's on Palm Sunday or at the Easter Vigil uh, or just a a particular Sunday in this springtime, but it's all because of that. And this is not to send the message
0: that catechesis— this learning the faith or whatever, that catechesis is only for this six-week period during Lent. It is to be a catalyst and a springboard for the entire Christian life. Am I tracking here,
1: Pastor? Right. Uh, Just like all the other things in Lent, Lent intensifies what should be happening all the rest of the year as well. So our hunger and
0: thirst for worship, for being in God's house, for hearing the Word of God and receiving God's gifts— In the same way, our hunger and thirst is fed and grows with learning what the Christian faith is, studying God's word, studying the uh, confessional writings and documents of the church, memorizing, or for many of us, re-memorizing parts of God's word and Luther's small catechism. And something that would tie into that as well, you mentioned this earlier, is the rich Lenten hymnody that we have. Now, what I've been playing for bumper music on uh, on this episode is uh, a wonderful, wonderful hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. And you preached using that as kind of the basis for all of your midweek Lenten sermons last year, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the big deal
1: about that hymn? Well, uh, that hymn, uh, it has its origins way back uh, before even the Lutheran Church uh, Reformation had begun, but it is a medieval hymn uh, which focused on the wounds of Christ that were done to him so that our sins could be forgiven. It was taken by Gerhardt and rewritten into what's more familiar to us today. Uh, in the Lutheran Church, it was used as a uh, one of the hymns in the Passions written by Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, it's been sung in the season of Lent in the Lutheran Church since almost the very beginning. Uh, And it really brings across all the things that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, had to endure so that we can be forgiven. And I think when we consider things that way, it really... I mean, we say it in the catechism this way. He purchased and won me from sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. And this hymn talks about how that blood got out of him and how that price was paid and all those things so that we can emphasize and focus on Christ crucified and risen in a really deep and meaningful way. Uh-
0: Isaiah 53,
1: verse 5, He
0: was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. This hymn really encompasses and expands on that marvelous uh, section of Scripture. And then, Pastor, if, if people are picking up what I'm throwing down to uh, borrow a Kuhlman-ism there, Being exposed and singing these rich, wonderful Lenten hymns will create in us a hunger and thirst to desire rich, full, Christ-filled Christian hymns throughout the seasons of the church here, and
1: there are many, many
0: for us to fall in love with. Am I right?
1: That's absolutely the truth. I mean, that hymn's just one of many, uh, and even, you know... um the uh the passions by bach are just tremendous ways to emphasize and focus on the suffering of christ if anybody has uh, many thousands of dollars they want to donate to the church we'll host one here at good shepherd but uh, that's not going to be a cheap thing for us to accomplish but we'll ask if you don't ask it doesn't happen right okay we need to take a short break this is at home in your hymnal
0: we're looking at the season of lent don't change that dial Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. In this episode 35, we are looking at the season of Lent. We've spent a lot of time, Pastor, talking about uh, the history and origins of uh, Lent in uh, segment one. In segment two, we talked a lot about fasting and spiritual discipline. We expanded that in our third segment, talking about a, a uh, proper Christian piety and how the things that we do during the season of Lent should uh, shape, form, and mold us so that they're part of our, our Christian life, our Christian discipline, our Christian walk, our sanctification each and every day of the life. One thing that we really haven't talked about much, and that is the extra focus on repentance, during the season of lent we get a lot of that on ash wednesday we have that focus throughout the uh sundays and many times during the wednesdays as well in lent um pastor why the topic of repentance during lent and then once again is lent the only time of the year that a christian should really really focus on repenting how would you uh how would you explain that
1: well um the season of Lent is one where we're considering what the price is for our sin, and and as we do that, there's no better thing for us to do than repent of those sins. Uh, it is a great cost that Christ must pay for our sins, uh, and even the The way that Jesus and St. John the Baptist, uh, representing the entire Old Testament, preached was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so that reality strikes home, especially during the season of Lent. But it's not limited to Lent. We ought to always be repentant. We ought to always... uh, Weep over our sin and rejoice in the salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, Lent is an intensification of what ought to be happening in the Christian life year round. And we
0: we see that throughout the Scriptures, Uh, we see that in Romans chapter six, where the Christian life is literally a daily repentance, where we die daily to our sin and daily rise with christ luther in his uh, 95 theses the very first thesis was uh, repentance is not a one-time act repentance is the life of a christian and so an increased focus on repentance during the season of lent is to help guide mold shape and form us as christians so that we want to live this life of repentance each and every day I think I think we've made that, that topic again and again and again pastor and I hope I hope our hearers are, are following along with that when when people come to church especially in a Lutheran church and I'll say especially especially a Lutheran church like Good Shepherd here in Lincoln, um, things are going to look a little bit different and things are going to sound. A little bit different. The first thing I want to talk about is what is sometimes referred to as a liturgical fast. There are certain things in the divine service that we freely and willingly withhold. We have we have a type of fast. Um, what are some of those things, and why would we do that in the worship service?
1: Well, uh, as we are inwardly reflecting and repenting of our sin, we leave out part of the worship services that are more joyful and uh, exciting, and maybe even the parts that... um show the happiness that we have in the resurrection. It's not that we're not happy in those things any longer, but rather because of our repentant natures, we leave them out. So things like the Gloria in Excelsis uh, and even the uh, Alleluia's, we don't say Alleluia the entire season of Lent. Uh, And if we're listening to this in the season of Lent, I repent of saying it here on this episode. Uh, But uh, we we don't say Alleluia Uh, when we stand for the gospel. Instead, we we have a a Lenten verse that we can sing as well, uh, return to the Lord your god for he is merciful and gracious uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love uh, we are free to do that we do those things to kind of emphasize and intensify our normal practices so that we might contemplate just a little more our sin and repentance
0: also uh, in addition to that liturgical fast and again uh, i just want to emphasize it one more time when you fast from the gloria or from alleluia And when you finally break the fast on Easter Sunday, you have a renewed sense of joy to get to sing these wonderful songs again. And hopefully that has created an appreciation for those things that you get to sing all throughout the year. Right, And and
1: there's a special moment in the Easter vigil where uh, we we begin the season of Easter by singing This is the Feast or uh, one of those other uh, great hymns right before the Lord's Supper.
0: In in the... uh, tradition of the church and again this is not just a lutheran tradition but there is a special color for the season of lent it is the color that adorns our altars and many churches also the pulpit and lectern the color of the stole that the pastor wears uh during the season of lent pa- uh, pastor what is that color and why is it significant
1: yeah during the season of lent the pastor and the paraments are purple or violet uh the reason is is that that is the royal color it was the most expensive um color to make in the ancient world all the purple garments the only way they could do it was by taking a certain snail from the ocean breaking open its shell and stealing a teeny tiny vein on the the animal's back that was actually yellow and you dyed the the garments yellow with this snail goop and then you put it in the sun and it turned purple. And so it was very expensive. Thousands and thousands and thousands of snails had to be killed to uh, dye just a few square feet of cloth. And since it is the most expensive royal color, the church uses it during this time uh, to show our penitence, our self-discipline, and also the great cost that Christ paid to forgive us of our sin. And so the chasuble, the stole, the uh, altar pyramids, the pulpit and lectern pyramids uh, during the season are Lent are purple uh, as we are, you know, repenting and uh, penitent people in the worship service. That
0: royal color of purple makes me think of the crown that our king wears, uh, and during the season of Lent, the focus would be on a crown of thorns,
1: Oftentimes that's on the uh, pyramids uh, during the season as well.
0: One, uh, one of the things, and again, with our with our extra increased focus on Christ and Christology and the passion and suffering of Jesus, I'm reminded of a set of pyramids that a uh, former congregation that I had, uh, their Lenten pyramids. It had a crown of thorns on the pyramids, and then it spelled out our K-I-N... And then below it, there was the G. So you could look at it to see our kin. Or if you added the G, our king. Teaching the two natures of Christ. Why would that uh, true God, true man, two natures of Christ, why would that be a heightened focus during the season of Lent?
1: Well, because it's not just a man, Christ, who dies, but also God, Christ, who dies on the cross, Uh, God and man both together in the one, and uh, that's necessary then for the salvation to be for us. He's man in the sense that he takes all of our sin upon himself and dies, and he's also God in the sense that it counts before God for all of us uh, for all eternity, and so both these things, and the Catechism does a really great job on this. If you go to the explanation of the Catechism at home— I know we don't have quite time to go through the details of that, but take a look at that on yourself uh, so that you can understand that idea even clearer. Yes,
0: and uh, once again, uh, I hate to be... repetitive here, but uh, repetition is the mother of all learning. We don't focus on the on the person and work of Jesus Christ only during the season of Lent, but we give it a special focus and by the grace of God that that piety, that discipline formed and shaped in us creates a hunger so that we can't get enough of it and we we demand it from our worship. we demand it from our preachers and teachers each and every day throughout the church here. Is that fair, Pastor? I think it is. Yes, definitely. There are some other visual things that people may encounter when they come into a liturgical church during the season of Lent. And what I'm thinking specifically of here, Pastor, is there may be certain things in the, in the sanctuary, in the worship area of the church, that are covered with a veil, uh, maybe it's artwork. Uh, maybe it's uh, something on the altar. Uh, could you explain why that tradition is there and what it is teaching us, again, with this thought of Christian piety and Christian discipline? Yeah,
1: it's it's done, again, to emphasize our penitence and to kind of tone down the, the glory of our uh, sanctuaries and their beauty. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's probably one of those things that's kind of slipped with our modern worldview is that, uh, you know, you think of the uh, the churches built 400 years ago with the vaulted ceilings, you know, that are um, dozens of feet high and the uh, paintings and the angels and all the stone carvings in there, some of that's kind of disappeared, but those things would be covered and veiled to indicate the penitent nature of the season and our repentant status before God during the season of Lent, and then taken off again uh, as Easter came into the church to show our joy and happiness in the resurrection of Christ again.
0: So when people come into Good Shepherd, what might they see veiled in the worship area?
1: Well, this year, for sure, we're going to have our altar crucifix veiled, and uh, we're, we're also hoping to have the uh, processional cross veiled. Uh, if we had art, which we're free to have uh, more art in the sanctuary, if we had that, we might veil those that, that showed things like the resurrection, things that showed the ascension, uh, the the glory of God. We might veil those as well to indicate our penitent season. Uh, we don't have those uh, as, as of this time, but definitely the altar cross and the processional cross will be veiled. Uh, at our church this year.
0: Lent is a unique time in the church here. It is a time to have a special focus and attention on everything that Christ has done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection, for us and for the forgiveness of sins. We meditate on his cross and his passion. Oh, dearest Jesus, what law have you broken? He hasn't broken any law. He's done it For you and for me, he's fulfilled the law. Jesus, I will ponder now. O sacred head, now wounded, in the cross of Christ I glory. Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Uh, Not all the blood of beasts. All of these rich Lenten hymns, the readings, the focus, puts us squarely looking at Jesus crucified and risen for us. Pastor, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, Why should people, even if they've drifted away from the church, why should people consider now the season of Lent a time to return?
1: Well, um, to try and put it in like a simple parable, easy to understand sort of way, uh, when you wash your clothes, you get the detergent that is extra concentrated and gets the stains out and uh, does a fantastic job, if you will. That's what the season of Lent is in the church year. It is uh, all the great things of the church, uh, concentrated, uh, emphasized, brought forward in a clear concise, precise fashion so that we can focus on our Lord Jesus Christ more than any other thing for 40 days and uh, the, the salvation that he has won for us. So it's a really great time of the year.
0: So my friends, um, during this season of Lent, take advantage of the many, many extra opportunities that there are for worship, and we pray that God would richly bless you with the forgiveness Life and salvation that comes only from the sacred head of Jesus, wounded for us and for everlasting life. God's richest blessings in Christ.